shared with you the first uh, uh, couple of times we talked about uh, the importance of, of having uh, uh, observation. And we did a little exercise on observation a, a few weeks back uh, to help us get some understanding on how that should go. And so um, we're going to go tonight and start looking at uh, interpretation. So first we have observation, then we have interpretation. Um, if you will, go with me uh, to the book of Psalms, 119, 119 number of Psalms. And, um, and we'll begin reading at verse number 27, Psalms 119, verse number 27. Y'all had a good week so far? Had a good week? All right, all right, just want to make sure. Amen. Um, and as you turn into Psalms 119, verse number 27, look at your outline. Uh, interpretation, what is that? Interpretation is coming to an understanding of what the Bible means. That's what interpretation is. Notice what it's not. Interpretation is not the same as imposing your opinions on the Bible. How many of you know people, and how many of you have done it before where you, you thought something, you've been taught something all your life, so you go to the Bible to prove that thing that you've been taught rather than going to the Bible to let it speak to you plainly in an, in an, in an understandable way. In other words, I don't go to the text with preconceived notions. And that's what we got to make sure that we don't do when we go to study our word. Let's go and let's see what the word of God says. I'll give you an illustration of, of, of that point. You know, for the longest, uh, I maybe like many of you all, I struggled in, uh, with understanding one time about women, ministry, women in ministry. Uh, and that struggle was because of upbringing. Um, and what I did was I, I decided one day, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the scripture. I'm going to take off my Baptist glasses. And I'm not going to go to it with a preconceived notion. I'm just going to go to the scripture and let it speak to me and see what it says contextually. Okay. As a matter of fact, I ran across, uh, why are you holding your place? Say, go to the book of Acts. Okay. Go to the book of Acts. And this, this really drove it home for me among some other passages of scripture because when I look at the Bible in totality, you have to look at the Bible in totality, the whole story, because we're going to discover that Scripture helps you to interpret Scripture. And, and so when I decided to go to the Word of God and not go into it with uh, preconceived notions, then I began to, um, uh, to get understanding about that very issue. And this, this Scripture here just really jumped off the page at me. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse number 14. Acts 2, verse number 14. And, uh, and there's other passages too, but this, this really kind of drove it home. It says, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Next verse, these people are not drunk. Now, this was the day of Pentecost, remember? The day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was initially ushered into the earth realm. Jesus had promised the disciples, he told them to go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Is that what he did? And he told, so as they were there tarrying, waiting for the ushering in of the third part of the Godhead into the earth realm, uh, when the day of Pentecost occurred, the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Come on, Bible readers, y'all remember that? And so when they when all these people from different parts of the from, from, from the earth at that time came together to Jerusalem for one of the, uh, the feast of Pentecost, they were they were they were here in different languages. But but when the Holy Ghost spoke, uh, when the Holy Ghost was ushered in, they they were all understood what was being said by the apostles. They spake in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there were many who thought that they were drunk. Uh, it was still early in the day, but they thought they were drunk. Something was wrong with them. But but he says these people are not drunk. Peter says, as some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Is that right? Now, how many of y'all used to get drunk early in the morning? Anybody? Don't, don't even raise your hand, man. If you're drinking at nine o'clock in the wrong morning, you really got a problem. Man. All right, but he says, no, he says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Now, here we see biblical prophecy coming into manifestation on the day of Pentecost. 
Okay? And so he's telling them this is what is transpiring. He says, in the last days, the prophet Joel had prophesied this. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Now watch what he says here. Your sons and daughters will do what? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now, again, what is he doing? He's telling them, uh, you know, what the, the, the prophet Joel has said this was going to take place. Then uh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The word prophesy means to, to foretell or to speak what thus said the Lord, to, to be God's mouthpiece in the earth realm. That's what a prophet was. A prophet represented God to the people. Right. He's speaking the word of God. So if I share what God's word says, what am I doing? I'm prophesying. I am preaching. OK, Pro preaching and, and prop prophesying is, 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 is synonymous because prophesying doesn't mean telling the future as much as it is telling what thus said the Lord. Now, what God says may encompass the future, but it doesn't have to. There were many times when, when the prophets in the Old Covenant was spoke, spoke, spoke what God's word said and talked about uh, the, the people at that time and, and pronouncing judgment upon them. It was then we, they spoke God's word. So look at the next verse. Let's keep reading. It says, um, in those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they'll do what? So in case you didn't catch it in the previous verse, he came back, comes back and reaffirms it. Now, when I started reading, I'm like, so what, what, you know, why, why has there been a lot of confusion? I understand historical context and also understand there are passages of scripture where people take, pick, pluck it out of context and don't compare that with other scripture. What we said is, is that we have to let scripture interpret scripture, right? So what I'm telling you is, is that when you go to the scripture text to study, when you go to read, don't go into it with preconceived notions that have been shaped by your upbringing, by your denominational background, uh, by your family or whatever. Go to the scripture text with the mindset that I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak to me and I'm going to trust and I'm going to pray to God and, and say, God, God, give me wisdom and understanding from the scripture text. So interpretation is not imposing your opinions on the Bible. You may have been taught something all your life that's incorrect and you find yourself looking for proof in the Bible, trying to prove what you already believe. Amen? And people will do that. That's not interpretation. That's trying to verify what someone has already told you. Okay? Interpretation is drawing out what the text says and what it means. It's what you glean from the Bible itself. Additionally, interpretation isn't based on the way you feel. Correct interpretation isn't based on wanting the text to say what you have and what you have in mind, what we have in mind. It's learning what it actually means based on what it says. Okay. So now, in, uh, as we go to Psalms one nineteen, verse number twenty seven, um, this is this should be all of our our prayer when we go to the scripture text. Because again, the first thing that we're going to do when we open our Bibles and we did that exercise, what are we going to do when we go to the scripture text? We're going to do what observation. We're going, to, we're going to observe what is actually happening, what is actually transpiring in a passage of Scripture. And then we're going to get into the interpretation part uh, as our second step. Now watch this. The text says this. Psalms 119, verse number 27. Are you there with me? It says what? Help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your what? Wonderful deed. Now here we see the psalmist is, 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 is pleading with God. He says, help me understand the meaning of your commandments and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. Next verse says what? Let's go. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. 29. Keep me from lying to myself. Everybody say, God, keep me from lying to myself. How many know it's easy to lie to yourself? Come on now. It's easy to lie to ourselves. We, we, we will lie to ourselves and, and, and feel pretty good about lying to ourselves. We'll tell ourselves stuff that really is not true. Some, some of us will tell our, ourselves we can sing, and we really can't sing, but we told ourselves that. 
Bless God Almighty. If, you know, listen, uh, you let other people tell you that you can sing. Don't you tell yourself that. <laughs> if, you had, if you hadn't got any invitation to sing solos, you probably can't sing. Not at that level. You know, everybody can sing, but you know, we can all make a joyful noise. <laughs> Chad, you hear me? We can all make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says, right? All right? But again, sometimes we lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves stuff that really is not true. And so, 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 so back up to that. Back up. Uh, it says, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Next verse says what? Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instruction. Now, here the psalmist is, is, is approaching the throne room of God, and he's approaching God and telling him to give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. See, I want to know what God's will is. Lou, I want to know his instructions for my life. I want to I have, I, wanna, I don't want to miss it. I want to have revelation knowledge that has been imparted to me by the Spirit of God so that I'm not preaching Baptist doctrine. I'm not preaching Assembly of God doctrine. I want to preach the unadulterated Word of God regardless of denominational bringing up, upbringing, okay? I want to be able to write and divide the Word of truth. Amen? All right, so, so we all should come that way. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Look at the next verse. It says what? I've chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. Now, guys, I've told you this before, but it's crucially important that we understand that in order for us to get revelation knowledge, then we have to have a mindset to walk in obedience to God's word. Because we, here's what some of us will do. We'll tell God to show me your word, but then uh, give me revelation knowledge from your word, but we won't obey the word that he gives us. And so the word, if, if you won't obey the word that God has already given you, then how are you going to expect to get revelation knowledge in other areas of his word? Because the word, Jesus, Jesus in the word are one and the same, correct? We know that. In the beginning, you know, the Bible says, uh, uh, in the beginning was the word, 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 word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among men. So if, if, I'm, if I'm expecting God to, to give me revelation knowledge, I have to have a mindset and a heart to walk in obedience to the word I already know. Simple stuff like, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. In other words, if, if, I, if I just have a, a, a habit of just nonchalantly missing church, not assembling together corporate with my brothers and sisters and don't think anything about it, then why do I expect God to, to give me revelation knowledge when I don't even obey that simple command? All right? So, so when we walk in disobedience and expect God to give us revelation knowledge, we are deceiving our own selves. He says, I've chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. Look at verse number 31. Let's go. It says what? I cling to your laws, Lord. Don't let me be put to shame. 32 says what? I will pursue your commands for you do what? Expand my understanding. Let's read again. Watch this. I will pursue your Commands. Now, somebody help me. When you pursue something, what does that mean? You, you, you run after it. If you're going to pursue it, if, if, if you committed a crime and the police are pursuing you, that means they what? They're running after you. If you have a girl that you like real good, real strong, real hard, and, 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 and you want to cultivate a relationship with her, even if you got real strong passion for that girl, sometimes people say he just running up after her. Y'all ever heard that before? How many y'all ever ran? How many y'all ever ran up after a man before, ladies? If, if y'all just, just kind of just, 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 I know you don't want to reveal uh, your 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 philosophy. That is a, that, that ain't a word, but I made up philosophy, amen. Because at the time you were walking foolishly, you were. Pursuing, you were running after him. I know you don't want to admit. I don't know you don't want to admit that there was a point in time you ran. But just like you ran after him, the same connotation, the same mindset is, is, is posed here by the psalmist. The psalmist said, I will pursue your commands. 
See, here's what I got you. To, here's what I need you to understand. God knows when we're really pursuing Him or not. Just like you know if a man is really pursuing you or not, or you just somebody who he kind of conveniently from time to time come by. You you kind of like a side chick. You know when he's really pursuing. Can, am I making this plain to somebody up in there? I, just, I need you to understand this because when you think about pursuing somebody or something, you know what that means. And what God is saying, and the psalmist said, I will pursue your commands. Now watch this. For you expand my understanding. Everybody say, God, expand my understanding. All of us need to have our understanding expanded, right? Okay, look, 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 look at 34, 33 and 34. Let's go. It says what? Uh, he teach me your, teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. 34, let's read. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. Watch this. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice. What? With all my heart. That's what the psalmist said. These are prayers of dependence. He's, he's saying, I need, you to, I need you to give me understanding, God. I'm depending on you to bring revelation knowledge. To interpret the Bible well, we must pray for understanding. So before we get into the text, we should always start with prayer. God, I don't know how to receive revelation knowledge except that your Holy Spirit gives it to me. So right now, as I get ready to get into your word, I pray that you will reveal your will to me. And God knows our hearts. He knows if we're sincere about wanting to know and obey. See, it's not enough just to know it because God, God knows our hearts. He knows if we're serious about doing this stuff. Okay? So, so it's critically important. Pray for understanding. Everybody say pray for understanding. Let's go to the book of Acts right quick. A very familiar passage scripture, Acts the eighth chapter. And y'all have, have heard this from before, but let's, let's look at it again. Because we're talking about praying for understanding. And God knows when we really truly desire wisdom from his word. Now, there are times, guys, when we get into the word of God and, and we, you know, understanding the word and, you know, by way of the Holy Spirit giving us revelation, sometimes comes with us, with us having to dig a little bit. Because it's just like God's revelation can be like gold. It's there. You can get it, but you got to dig for it, right? And some of us want to just flop it open and in two minutes know everything there is to know about the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. It takes time, and we have to learn how to dig a little bit. But I promise you guys, some of the most uh, uh, awesome uh complete and peaceful time I've ever had is when I'm in the word and the Holy Spirit just popping up revelation after revelation, bringing up stuff out of scripture that I've seen, that I've read before, but hadn't seen that revelation before. I get excited when it happens. And I promise you, if you approach the text with a passion to learn and to understand, God will give it to you. I promise you he will. Now watch, watch this text here. This account here involves two people who couldn't be more different from each other. One is an evangelist named Philip, and the other is an Ethiopian eunuch whose name is not revealed in the scripture text. Well, let's read it from Acts 8, verse number 25. The text says what? After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Now, somebody, can we do a little, just a little bit of observation of this particular verse right here? And, and let's, let's kind of ask some questions of the text here. Is that, do you see anything that's significant or odd about this? You know, Peter and John were, uh, you know, we know for a fact that Peter, was Peter Gentile or Jew? He had a Jewish background, right? And I think so did John. But now watch this. It says, what's significant about this? After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in many Samaritan villages 
along the way to preach the good news. So what's significant about that, guys? Anybody? Jews preaching to Samaritans. So as I'm, as I'm observing this text, so what's, what's significant about that? You said Jews preaching to Samaritans. What, what was significant about that? Why is that? You, you brought that out, but why is that? Okay, there was a schism there, right? Because Samaritan was what, what we consider half-breed. They were half-Jew and half-Gentile, all right? And you know, it, it, it's amazing, and I, I say this all the time, it is amazing, and at the same time, it is asinine how it is that we as a people here in this country and in other countries make determinations uh, about the value and the worth of people based on their outward spent, uh, skin pigmentation. It, 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 it boggles my mind, the, the, the lost pro productivity, the, the lack of peace and understanding that's, that's hewn out because people look different. It, it, it amazes me, and, and first of all, it's, it's not God's way. Y'all know that, right? But, but, but we'll get caught up at what people look like on the outside, and then we just line up, and we, make, we, go, we go to our corners, and we're just ready to fight. But, but again, they had schism there, and it was, it was, it was not unusual for Jews to, to, to go all the way around, way out the way to keep from going through Samaria. They, they, didn't, they didn't even want to have any kind of contact with, with uh, uh, Samaritans. But here we see Peter and John, they stopped in those villages preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Christ, Jesus Christ, is available for everybody. So as a church and you as an individual, don't you just settle for preaching to black people. You have, we have a responsibility to, to share the good news with whoever God places in our path. And we got to be ready to do that, okay? So, so that, was, that was significant as I read this. It says, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Now, again, something else that, that we see when you have read Acts, you know that there was a point in time, Peter, doing just like he did here, um, uh, was, uh, was called on the carpet, wasn't he? For, uh, you know, he was eating with uh, Gentile believers. And then when the big dogs from the big church came, came from the big house in Jerusalem, Leroy, he pulled away from the Gentiles. Wouldn't eat with them. And he got called on the carpet for acting that way. Because others would have saw him acting that way. He was a lead in the church. If they saw him pulling away, then they'll start acting a fool like that. See, you... you as, when you're in a leadership role, you have a responsibility to set an example. So, so here we see him ministering, but there's another point in time over in Acts where he pulled away and, and stopped, stopped eating with the, the Gentiles because, you know, the people from the mother church was coming to town. And guys, we, we, can't, we cannot as a ministry uh, have the mindset that we go to differentiate who we share the gospel with and who we don't share it with. Y'all listening to me? Uh, you know, even through our, our television and our radio broadcast, we're reaching a, a, a multicultural audience. And one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be better at and more keenly aware of is that I'm not just preaching to you here. Because when this message goes on the radio, when, when a Sunday morning message goes on, uh, out on television, it's reaching a, a wider audience. And a lot of those stations in, in, that we own are, are, are maybe even predominantly Caucasian because we get feedback and we, we hear response from that. So, so, I, so one of the things we have to realize is the gospel is for whoever is listening. Are y'all tracking with it? And so, so I, I don't want us ever to get to the point to where we, we only share with black people. That, 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 that's not biblical any, anywhere. You can't find that in the Bible, okay? So let's keep reading. The text says this. Watch this. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay? Look at the next verse. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake the queen uh, of Ethiopia, one, one verse says Candace, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now watch this. Uh, and he was now returning 
seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, let's go back. So Peter was ministering in Samaria. He's going, going through the Samaritan visit back, back to Jerusalem that he was spoken to by God's messenger, the angel, to go into a desert place. So you heard me share this before. He left the big preaching crowd to go minister to one. He left the big church in the city to go to a little church in the country, if I can paraphrase it that way. I know that we're talking about an individual here, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to understand is there are some people who won't come to a small church. They only, they, they, if, if you call for them to come preach, they want to know what the expected size of the crowd is. What's, uh, or basically what they'll say is, what is the seating capacity of your facility? What they're asking you is, how many folk are going to be up in there? I mean, they have these sheets that they have to get filled out. And I understand protocol. I understand trying to plan and prepare. But don't ever get to the point in your life and in your ministry that you're not willing to go minister to the one or the few. You got to be with the crowd. And there's some people who are like that. They got to be with the crowd. If it's not crowded, I ain't coming. But we know that the gospel is for everybody. So Peter leaves, amen, the crowd to go minister to the one. Look at the next verse. Let's go. It says what? And he was now returning, seated in his, in his carriage. He's talking about praying for understanding, okay? He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Let's read on. It says what? The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now here, Philip is following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me park that just for a second. How many of you all in your life have sensed the Holy Spirit telling you to talk to somebody who maybe you don't even have a close relationship with. How many of y'all have ever sensed the Holy Spirit talking and telling you to go and minister or to share something with someone who you do have a relationship with, who may be a fellow church member or a family member? How many have ever had that happen and you didn't move on the Holy Spirit's nudging? How many of y'all have had somebody come across your mind and it came across, that person came across your mind repeatedly? You would, all of a sudden you start thinking about them. And then you say to yourself, I need to call them, right? But how many of us have said, I need to call them when they came up in our spirit, but we didn't call? I, got, I will submit to you that God works that way. The Holy Spirit works that way. God will prompt somebody in your spirit. He'll put a person on your mind. You may not even be thinking about that person, but the Holy Spirit will bring them up in your spirit and I would encourage you to be obedient and reach out to that person. You never know. I, 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 sent, a, I sent a text to someone uh, this morning, and when that text went out, that person received, they said, that's exactly what I need. Pastor, thank you for sending that. We needed that. We, we love EBC. We love being a part of this fellowship. That, that, that text, it came my spirit that I needed to send that text. And so I was obedient, but, but I will submit to you there have been times when People have came in my spirit, and I said, well, I'll get to it later. How many of y'all have said, I'll get to it later, but you never get, got around to getting to it later? So we got the lead, follow the Holy Spirit leading. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alone beside the carriage. Look at the next verse. Look what it says. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? Next verse says what? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. He said, come, just come on, get closer. Share, share with me some things from this text here. Look at the next verse. Let's read it. It says what? The passage scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Next verse says, he was humiliated and received no justice, who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Read on. It says what? Uh, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Who was he talking about, y'all? Himself or someone else? Talking about somebody else. Who was that someone else? Jesus Christ. Y'all got some Bible studies in here tonight. Next verse says what? 35 says, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Watch this now. Watch this. 36 says what? As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? 
37 says what? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip did what? He baptized him. And the next verse says what? When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way what? He went on his way what? Rejoicing. He went on his way what? Rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing because why, why was he able to rejoice? Because what? He had just received the good news of Jesus Christ and received him as his Savior and had been followed that decision up with water baptism. But Philip, amen, received an inspirational tug from the Holy Ghost. And what, I'm, what I want to encourage each one of us in here to do is, is when we feel that tug, when we feel that unction, when, when that, quote, something told me to call, something told me to go by, follow that something's voice and go by because you never know. You may have a word that will inspire somebody to either get saved or inspire someone to come up out of that valley experience that they're in right now. Okay, so we got to get sensitive to following the Holy Spirit leading. And that's what Philip did here in the text uh, as he interfaced with the Ethiopian unit. He he obeyed and he ran over to the Ethiopian unit, heard what he was reading, asked him did he understand what he was reading. And he said, how can I let some man guide me? And so Philip, amen, proceeded to explain and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so because he... Uh, when that when that eunuch was in Jerusalem to worship, he had obtained that scroll, scroll of Isaiah, and on the way back, he unrolled that scroll and read it. So Philip 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 knew uh, who that uh, reference was in Isaiah 53. Okay, so Philip carefully and correctly interpreted that scripture for him. So whenever we come into the scripture text, we want to make sure that we provide a man correct interpretation. Guys, if you don't know something, don't fudge and play like you know it. Especially when it comes to the Bible. If someone asks you a question from the text, and, and, and those of you all who teach uh, Sunday school and whatever, you, you, you won't ever be prepared to what you're going to know every answer to every question that comes up. And that's okay. You, you don't have to know every answer to every question, but at least know the lesson that you're studying. But that may be something that comes up that you're not aware of, but don't try to bluff your way through it. It's great to say, well, you know what? I don't know, but you know what? I'm going to pray about that. I'm, I'm going to research that, and I will call you back tomorrow, or we will discuss that next Sunday. Okay? It's okay to do that. Philip, amen, relied on the Holy Spirit to give him the interpretation, and he shared that with this Ethiopian eunuch. So look at, look at the third part of our, our outline here. So we're talking about grasping the context, Okay? Grasping the context. Interpreting the scripture has to do with understand what, understanding what has been written. Observation is like ex excavation, which involves digging into the text to form the foundation of thought. Interpretation is the next step of that process, which involves the erection of the building. Okay? So observation is like, it's like digging down and finding what all is involved in, 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 in sort of, you know, uh, get, getting that foundation ready. Uh, I, re I recall, how many of y'all, when you pass through downtown Shreveport, you see that Regions Bank Tower? It used to be CNB Tower. You see, how many of y'all back in the day they had the time, it was time and temperature clock on the top of that building way back in the day? But I remember uh, on, on, the, on the, the other tower, the, the, the older tower, but that new tower that they built, I remember when they were building that thing, I remember going downtown Shreveport, and as they were building that building, man, they had... It looked like they went about three stories into the ground with steel and rebarb and concrete before they ever got above ground. Because if you're going up, that building I think is 24 stories high. If you're going up 24 stories, you got to have a good foundation. And it can't be the same foundation that you use to build your house over in the subdivision. Because if you try to build that type building, with that kind of foundation, guess what? It will not hold. So as we get into the interpretation stage of our Bible study, we got to make sure that we've done careful and considerate observation of the text. 
We've got to make sure that we, we've dug down into that text to get the foundation of thought, knowing what, who's writing, who they're writing to, what's going on before we can start to build our interpretation, okay, that go through that process. So there are a couple of barriers that, uh, to determining what that text means, a couple of barriers that we've got to be aware of. First, there's a language barrier, okay? So the, so the goal of interpretation is to understand what the original author meant. Keep in mind that the people who first recorded scripture didn't write in English. The Old Testament scriptures were written primarily in Hebrew and a few sections were written in Aramaic. However, most of us don't read Hebrew or Aramaic. Y'all heard me say that time and time again. I think I even said it Sunday. Therefore, the Bible we, we, we use, it should be used, I'm sorry, typo. The Bible we use should be as accurate to the original text as possible. And so for the New Testament, the original writing was in Greek. So if Greek isn't your first language and you haven't studied it, you will need a version of the Bible in your language that's as close to the Greek as you can get, okay? So that's why you gotta be very careful about Bible interpretation. I love the KJV. I study from the KJV and I preach from it, but I also like to use the New Living Translation because if I'm trying to reach a man, a, a, a plurality of people in my audience, I know some of my millennials and my young adults uh, you know, aren't, aren't grasping KJV language and most of you all aren't either. So when we read the scripture from the KJV, we have to come back and try to tell you what that means, right? All right, so, so a, good, a good study Bible is crucial to getting understanding from the scripture text. Is that, is that fair enough? Y'all understand that? Okay, all right. So, so there's a language barrier. Understand that because uh, they talked in a different language and we didn't have it. And, and second barrier, there's a cultural barrier, barrier. People in biblical time didn't live the same way we do today. And so one of the worst mistakes you can make when you're studying your Bible is to try to apply 2018 American culture to the scripture that was written all those years ago in, 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 in a totally different culture. It doesn't, it doesn't jive. Okay? Y'all with me? So we got to understand that, that if we're going to get proper interpretation, we got to make sure we understand what that culture was, what that, what, 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 that, what, 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 what kind of things they dealt with. So that means that we got to do some careful research and study. Is that right? A number of different cultural events have occurred in human history since the Bible was written. So therefore, to correctly interpret, we need to take into account the many cultural differences. And again, that requires us to do some research. In other words, you're not going to know that just by growing up in Benton, Louisiana, what the culture of the day was in Jerusalem all those many years ago, 2,000 years ago. You're not going to know that just by, just by growing up in Benton. So you got to use some research tools, Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias that helps us to get into that culture because the Bible is written in that culture. But it's still applicable for us today. But to get the proper, amen, interpretation, we got to insert ourselves into that culture, Connie. We got to go back and understand how that culture operated. How many of y'all, if you look at your own household growing up, y'all had a certain culture in your own household? I mean, you, the Gilliards had a certain culture. Y'all did things a certain way. Y'all may have did it different than the Joneses. Is that right? People did stuff differently, right? Even, even, even South Louisiana people do stuff a little bit different. They cook a little bit different than we do up here North, right? Is that right, Miss Bonnie? Y'all throw, throw down with some stuff that we didn't even think about up here. So culturally, food is different. All kinds of things are different. So I have to insert myself into uh, that culture to get some understanding. Let's just say if, they, if, if Jesus had, not that he did this, but if he gave a scripture uh, talking about a certain kind of food and he said crawfish etouffee. So if I, don't, if I don't know what crawfish etouffee is, did I say that right? Thank you, yeah. I, 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 if, if I don't know what crawfish etouffee is, and I'm trying to understand the example that Jesus used, the parable, then I'm not going to understand it because I don't know what crawfish etouffee is. I may think that's some Wilson Wieners over rice. <laughs> Carl, you know what Wilson Wieners are. Them. It, how many of y'all know what Wilson Wieners are? Yeah, see, up, up north we know that, right? You pop them Wilson Wieners, they pop when you, yeah, yeah. But, but in order for you to understand what that scripture meant, if he used crawfish etouffee, I had to insert myself into that culture and understand what it looks like, what's involved, what's on that plate, in order to understand the scripture he just gave me. So I'm inserting myself 
into that South Louisiana culture or, quote, the biblical culture at that time. So that's what we got to do. But we don't just automatically know that stuff. So we got to research it a little bit. Amen? Fair enough? All right. So now when I open my Bible, I need to have, if I'm serious about my Bible study, I need some other tools to help me crack the code of that culture to understand the writer who's writing, who's he writing to, and make sure I'm not trying to understand it from my modern day culture. I got to go back and understand the then and the there so I can understand the here and the now. Amen? All right, so here we go. Part number three, as we move down to a close here. Crucial questions to ask of the text, okay? What is the setting? You want, you want to know what that setting is, all right? What is the setting? Uh, next, what type of literature am I reading? Because uh, the story in Acts that we just read uh, is, is, is called narrative. That's a narrative type literature. It's telling a story. You're going back and looking at the story. It recounts a larger story connecting people and events and great ideas together. Each particular story is part of the overall picture. So again, look at these right quick. So you have uh, narrative, which is the events of scripture. It's telling a story. You have parables. And what are parables? The stories of Jesus that teach a spiritual lesson. And I just listed some of those parables right there. Mark 4, Luke 15, uh, Luke 10, Luke 12. Those are parables. Y'all, we've talked about what parables are before, right? So I need to understand Am I reading a parable? Is it parabolic language that I'm reading? And so, uh, because if I, if I don't understand that, then I'll, when Jesus starts talking these parables, I'm going to get confused, all right? The next type is what? Poetry. Uh, and that's the words of song, such as the book of Psalms, okay? Keep in mind, Hebrew poetry often contains literary, literary technique called parallel, parallelism, okay? In which similar statements are repeated for emphasis and beauty. As a matter of fact, go to Psalms 27 and 1 right quick, okay? Parallelism, which similar statements are repeated for emphasis and for beauty. Psalms 27 and verse number 1, this is just an example of that, okay? I need to know, is it poetry that I'm reading, okay? How many of y'all ever read Song of Solomon? You know, Song of Solomon, you know, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a love story, and and what in that particular book, what God does is He uses uh, the 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 mindset and the connotation of relationship between a man and a woman to describe His love for His people. Yep, y'all follow me? And in the Song of Solomon, the dude starts just rapping and 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 saying some stuff that in our culture is kind of funny to me. Uh, and, uh, and but he's talking about the the, the, the her beauty and he, he uses animals to describe it. And so it, it'd be kind of rough for a brother in, in 2018 to come home with his wife, start rapping to her like Solomon did, because we're in that culture. But back then they would have understood ex exactly what was being said. But look at what this says here: uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Look at verse 2 real quick, just for good measure. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will what? Stumble and fall, okay? So when we, we, we see, we talked about, uh, back up to the first verse again, number one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my what? Fortress. That, that means he's protecting me from danger. And so what we talk about, um, it, 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 it requires, or this portrait will, in Hebrew portrait, they will use similar statements uh, to repeat emphasis and, and the beauty of it. So the Lord is my fortress. Then it says, what, what does a fortress do? It protects. It says, he's protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? If God is my fortress, why am I afraid? As a matter of fact, think about your own life, and as I even think my own life, why do we become afraid if, we, if God is our fortress, if he's our protector? If we truly believe that God is going to protect us from the evil one, why do we allow the evil one to, to, to sell us wolf tickets? You know what wolf tickets are? That means somebody just bluffs. And the devil, all he can do is bluff. The Bible says he's, Mac, he's, he walks to and fro in the earth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he can't devour you unless you let him. 
we got to realize that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so I'm not going to let the enemy, amen, blow smoke at me and get me afraid. Because he knows that if he can get our eyes off of the word of God and get us into fear, then we won't walk in faith. Because faith and fear cannot coexist in the same heart, okay? So we have poetry. We have a proverbial, which is the real, the proverbial language, which is the wisdom of Proverbs. Um, look at Proverbs 1 and 7 real quickly as we hurry to a close. Because Proverbs are filled with contrast and comparison. You see that all throughout Proverbs. And uh, this says that fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Look at it again. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of what? True knowledge. In other words, I reverence God. If I reverence God, then, then it, it, it builds the foundation for me to walk in knowledge. He says, but fools will do what? Despise wisdom and discipline. Will despise wisdom and instruction. So if you have someone in your family, someone in your church who despise wisdom and, 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 and instruction and discipline, then the Bible says that that person is foolish. Don't ever walk in, in the category of a fool, okay? So the last type of pro, uh, language is prophecy. The message of God given through his spokespeople. Prophecy. When we deal with prophetic literature and scripture, we have to determine if the prophecy will, will be fulfilled in the ultimate future uh, or if it was in the future when it was written but has already happened now. There's some things that, that were prophesied like in Joel. Uh, Joel prophesied and that was fulfilled when? On the day of Pentecost. I just read it to you. Uh, when they thought they were drunk, you know, what did Peter say? This, this, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your son and your daughters shall prophesy. So that prophecy of Joel has already been fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. But there's other prophecy that has not been fulfilled and is yet to be uh, uh, laid out over, 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 over the annals of time, but it's coming. So we got, when we're looking at prophetic literature, we got to determine has it already taken place or is it still to take place in the future? Y'all remember when we studied the, the 70th week of Daniel? How many of y'all remember that? What is, can somebody tell me? I'm going to test your memory right, now, right quick. Who can tell me what is the 70th week of Daniel? 69 weeks have been fulfilled, but what is the 70th week of Daniel? Anybody? Let me give you a hint. It, the 70th week is not a week in the sense that we think of a week, but it's a seven-year period. There it is, yeah. The 70th week of Daniel, from a, from, from a prophetic standpoint, is the, the seven-year period. Because in Daniel, when it talks about those weeks, those are seven-year periods. So the last week is the seven-year period of the Great Tribulation period. So that has not transpired yet. All of Daniel's prophecies have taken place except that 70th week of his prophecy. The other 69 have taken place, but we still wait on the fulfillment of the 70th week. I know some of y'all looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? We started that several years ago, but the 70th week, whenever you hear the term the 70th week of Daniel, know that, that, is a, that that's referring to a seven-year period of prophecy that Daniel gave that's going to transpire during the seven-year tribulation period. That's the 70th week of Daniel, okay? So you, now you learn one thing tonight if you didn't learn anything else, Okay? So somebody asks you, what is the 70th week of Daniel? What are you going to tell them? The Great Tribulation period. That seven-year period. Six, three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of total turmoil here on the earth. Okay? Y'all got that? All right. So let's close it out. So five essential questions that we should ask ourselves when we are uh, preparing ourselves to get into uh, some interpretation. After we observe, we interpret. First of all, you need to know, am I a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not going to reveal revelation knowledge to you if you ain't saved. He, he needs to get you saved first. So I've always told, I've told you, quit arguing and trying to debate the Bible with unsaved people. They're not going to understand it because they're spiritually discerned. Okay, so make sure that you're a believer. Scriptural insight is reserved for those who have the Spirit of God living in them. Number two, do I have a passion to know God's Word? Do I really want to know what God's word says? Am I passionate about that? Or am I just doing something because pastor said I need to study? Okay. 
The key word, of course, is passion. Is there an intense zeal within you driving you to dig deeper? And if you don't have that, pray for it. Say, God, give me an intense desire to know you better. Because the only way we're going to know God better and know his mind is to dig into his word. We need to be passionate about that. So if you're not passionate, you know if you're passionate or not. Here's, here's, here's a hint. If you study, if you, if you don't really have a consistent study time, you're not really passionate. You're not really passionate. Because passion will show up, right? Passion will show up in what we do. If a guy is passionate about a sport, he will train, amen, amen, consistently to prepare himself for that sport. But if he don't have passion, he'll just, he'll just try to work out two weeks before it's time to practice. Michael Jordan had passion when he played the game. And he, he practiced amen, cons, uh, uh, consistently over a period of time. And so to prepare himself, even though he was the best in the league, he kept on practicing. Okay? That's called passion. Have I humbled myself before the Lord? I got to ask myself the question. Have I humbled myself? We need to acknowledge our full dependence on him, realizing that God and God alone must guide us into an understanding of his word. Okay? So have I humbled myself? I'm not going to depend on my intellect. I am not going to depend on my degree from Louisiana Tech to try to understand the Bible. Okay? Because it doesn't help me there. All right? All right, so number four, have I taken time to pray? Study without prayer is an incomplete process. It's futile. So if you're not praying and you're just jumping into your word trying to study for knowledge so you can discuss it or answer a question, baby, you're missing the point. Holy Spirit gives us inspiration. So pray for inspiration. Pray for revelation. And lastly, have I done my homework well? Okay? Have you dug deeply? Have you taken time to really think through the verse? Have you turned the words over in your mind? Have you asked penetrating questions? Have you searched this passage and others to be sure you grasp the Lord's wisdom out of it? So we got to do our homework. We, we have to use resources to help us to get into that culture so that we can understand what that text is saying, okay? All those things are vitally important to interpretation. But don't make this mistake. Don't go to the text already thinking you know what it means. Let the text speak to you. Let the scripture speak to you. Do, we're going to talk about this next step is correlation. Correlate that verse or that passage with another verse or passage because scripture helps us to interpret scripture. Amen? All right, so any questions over what we went over tonight? So interpretation, let's go back to the front page. What is interpretation again? What is it? Coming to an understanding of what the Bible means. It is not the same as imposing our opinions on the Bible. Okay? We're going to come to an understanding of what the Bible means. And so I want to make sure that we grasp that and understand that so that when we get into our word, we have a plan and a pattern and a strategy for doing it. Okay? So get a Lord a hand of praise as we close.